Welcome back to Why the Flick, a podcast where we watch a movie and ask ourselves, why the flick did I watch this? And this week, I am joined by none other than reoccurring old, old, I don't mean old, uh, former former co-host of the podcast, Elizabeth. Hello! Is it weird (laughs) that you are now on the other side of this as a guest? A little bit, but it feels good to be back. And we, I guested on one of your podcasts several years ago when we did Nomadland. So it doesn't feel totally yeah. foreign right. to, to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, um, everything comes but full yeah, I'm circle. Excited. Mm-hmm. So for those of you listening who maybe have not followed us on social and not heard the update, um, Elizabeth is leaving us. It's leaving Why the Flick as a co-host. I know, sad. We are very upset by this, but so happy for her in her <laughs> new journey. Um, and really, honestly, the reason why is because we had such a disagreement on Hocus Pocus that we had to split ties. So <laughs> that was it, right? That's what did it. That for was you. the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> no, but uh, That's funny. I'll let you speak in your own words um, why you're leaving and what you why. You, anything else you would like to elaborate on (laughs) yeah nothing crazy I've had so much fun doing this podcast and um really grateful for it because it one because we get to spend all that you know time together um you know we're we're great friends that unfortunately live in different cities so you know it's been nice to do this with you um and it's it's just like um reignited my love for movies you know I've been on kind of the tv series um wagon I don't know what that is um (laughs) yeah for for a long time you know it's it's really um I think we're still in a golden era of tv but um so it's been it's been nice to have an excuse um and a dedicated reason to to watch movies and since our last recording and especially like over the holidays um I've watched more movies than I had outside of the podcast Mm -hmm. um and in a really long time so it's been great but you know life is life and we all have to juggle uh different priorities and as you know we've mentioned before this is it's a lot of work it's a lot of work putting on a podcast and um you know especially it was always important to us to um you know bring you something new um do a lot of research be really thoughtful about um, what we bring to the to the podcast so um you know it just takes a lot of time um and I've just kind of had to reprioritize some things but I'm super excited that you're carrying it on um and I won't be a social media follower because I gave up social media (laughs) and I gotta tell I mean sorry but I gotta tell you it's been wonderful but I will for sure be uh an avid listener not only did we break Elizabeth down so much that she had to leave the podcast. She also had to leave social media. <laughs> I know. Look, it sounds like I'm having a mental health crisis, which by the way, if you are, that's fine. Yeah. Like it all, it happens to all of us. Um, I'm really just like, you know, you just have to prioritize Absolutely. things. It's a good thing. Yeah. You know, and with social media, it's, I mean, I won't go into all the many reasons, you know, but there were some things I liked about it, but ultimately it just, was bringing me down so I deleted all the apps January 1st congrats to you I'm so like it's it's nice over here yeah 
Um, yeah, I'll say like anybody who is listening and has a podcast knows it does take a lot of work on the back end to put together. I know it only appears as a like hour and a half show each week, but there's a lot on the back end that has to happen. Um, but yeah, and obviously we are still very close friends. You'll you'll be coming back on, I'm sure, in in the future. But I can speak to you a little bit about the changes coming to the pod for season three. So uh, first things first, we are moving from episodes every Tuesday to every other Tuesday um, to account for scheduling and being a solo host now. So. You will get episodes out every other Tuesday now. Um, Also, we have an amazing slate of guests coming up for each episode. I'm super excited to um, have these uh, guests on each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. So it's not just going to be me talking to myself because I hate the sound of that. (laughs) Um, So there's definitely going to be some different guests coming on. Uh, Some you may have already heard on the podcast before. Um, and then the last update is just there's there's some new um, segments and new just kind of vibes in general that we're going into with this podcast. So you will see those as this episode progresses. But yeah, those are the major changes. Nothing else much. You, we're still going to be, like I said, creating content, creating episodes. It just might, be, might not be as much as we were doing, but you're still going to get quality content. Don't you worry. Quality over quantity, baby. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in to our movie, which is what everybody's here for, right? So listen to us talk about a certain movie. And the movie that we are talking about is one Elizabeth picked. Do you want to announce the movie, Elizabeth? One last time. Yes. Yes. So today we will be talking about Gangs of New York. Yeah. Oh, so fun. This is one of my favorite movies. So tell me why the flick did you choose this movie? First of all, I want to point out that I very strategically picked my three options that I sent to you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, these three movies are movies that I don't think Claire would naturally watch on her own or like gravitate towards. So I, um, one was Gleason, which is a documentary, um, Tree of Life. And uh, Gangs of New York. And I kind of knew. I was like, I think she's out of the three of these, she's going to go for Gangs of New York. And I was really in the mood for a Gangs of, the, of New York rewatch. Um, because although I've seen this movie countless times, it's been it's been several years since I've watched it. So I was, I was eager. And for some reason, well, no, I know why. I kind of associate it with uh, holiday season mm. because I remember when I got the DVD for Christmas and I, then I just watched it on repeat for, you know, days and weeks. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why I associate with the holiday um, season. So, um, yeah, it's been one of my favorite movies since I was a teenager. Um, it's it's a comfort movie in that way, nostalgic in that way. And, and who doesn't love a good New York City story? Yeah, it's so funny, like... You had this on your list. This is, I think, one might have been, like, really the only one I title-wise that I had recognized um, right off the bat. And so that's a little bit why I picked it, too, because I was like, I recognize that one, and I have never seen it, um, as you so accurately, you know, outlined. Um, 
And <laughs> I'd heard a lot about it, though, like multiple times I've heard about this movie. It was just never something that I jumped into watching. I know it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Um, what really drew me in to watching it was that it's just a stacked cast. So it's just incredible to see all of these characters, um, actors come together as these characters. So I was like, why not? Let's 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 give it a shot. Let's see what this is about. Um, let me ask you this. What were your initial reactions when you first, if you can remember when you first saw this? I mean, I just remember absolutely loving it from the first time. It's such, um, it's such an epic story. And to me, in some ways, iconic, like iconic New York, iconic actors and iconic performances. Um, but I hadn't watched it and, and several or, or many years and I was interested to see, like, okay, does it hold up for me? Or, like, am I going to see it with a new eye? Maybe I see, like, you know, more cracks and things like that. And I was really um, happy that my experience rewatching, I loved it even, you know, even more. Um, and it did really hold up uh, for me. And I think, I think ultimately why this movie is, to me, so great and so special is the level of fucking detail. It's yeah. the detail in the the set and production design, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout. It's the detail in the um, in the the history, the historic details, and some of those are pretty true to, to history. Some, you know, took some liberties, but um, you are immersed in this world. I think from 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 the get, um, from the very first shot and the first sequence and it's just really that kind of film that you can that you can get lost in um and that's yeah that's what I felt re-watching it and I want to go watch it again I love it so much <laughs> if you have three but I want to hear three, your... three hours to spare <laughs> by all means <laughs> okay yes yeah okay so I've ranted about long movies and then I choose yeah, I like Interstellar and, and Gangs in New York um, for me, I'll say it, ne there's never, there's nothing in the movie that I'm like, eh, we could have done without that. Or, eh, this is moving kind of slow. So yeah, it's a commitment, commitment at two hours and, and like 47, 48 minutes. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's, it's totally worth it. Uh, look, I am so happy for you that you love this movie <laughs> and I love you to death, Elizabeth. I absolutely do. And I hope this doesn't also ruin our friendship, but <clears throat> it might. Uh, <laughs> I can hear shadow barking in the background. Um, I, I'll say this. I, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Um, but I don't hate it. Like I want to be very clear and upright about that. I don't hate it. I'm just pretty, okay, okay, I'm kind, I'm okay. just a little middle of the road. Like I see good, like pros and cons. Um, there are things I enjoyed about it. There are things that I felt like could have done, been done maybe better. Um, so like on the good side, I'll start on the good side of things. Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> in this movie. I mean, Hello. you have to be blind to not like, I mean, oh, sorry for people yeah. who are blind. Um, but, you know, <laughs> to, to not recognize that he is an incredible actor in this movie. Like he steals the show for me. Like he is the main, like mm -hmm. he deserved his best actor nomination for this. I mean, I think he just blows everybody else out of the water. Honestly, he just has such a high caliber in, in the way that he portrays this character. Um, that is truly baffling to me, but in a good way. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, 
And I really like the idea of this story, you know, where it is a son trying to seek revenge uh, or avenge his father's uh, for his father's death. And every like I yeah, I can get behind that. Like, give give me that kind of storyline told through this, you know, time period piece. I really like that. And like you said, the scenes um, are so elaborate. The production is insane. Costumes, insane. I mean, I want to talk about this um, right off the, off the bat in a little bit, but just like that first scene with the Battle of the Five Points where everybody is fighting, like that was my favorite part of the movie, if I'm going to be honest. It sounds like you love it. <laughs> I told but you, go on. I told you I have mixed feelings. Okay, so those are the things I liked. The things that helped, like made me not like it as much, I think, like I said, the first... 15 minutes or whatever of the movie where they have that battle. Great. Love it. It's so good. Everything after that to me felt like it got, except for the end, got a little muddled. And I feel like we'll talk about like the making of this movie. I feel like that has something to do with it. I just don't think it was executed as well as it could have been. There's just a lot to consume and take in in a three hour period. Um, And I feel like the, the pacing was just weird to me. Um, it also, this is just a personal opinion, but I just don't think it had enough Liam Neeson in it because I was... <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, always a problem. And when I looked at the uh, cast list for this, I was like, oh, like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Cameron Diaz, Daniel Day-Lewis, this is great, John C. Riley. And then I was like, Liam Neeson, okay, like, I'm sold. I'm, like, ready to watch this. And then he fucking dies <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> he's, he's, like, the first to go. Yeah. Yeah. So so that was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I will say I am so familiar with this movie and I've seen it so many times. I don't I can't really um like objectively maybe talk about like pacing mm-hmm. or like when you say there's so much cuz there is so much. Like there's just like so much history that converges in this story in so many different layers. So um that I think that's totally fair and I can see that. I just again yeah. I'm I've seen it so many times that um to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is a lot. And, <laughs> There's a lot. Going and maybe because I only watched it once, so maybe if I watched it multiple times, and isn't it's not like yeah. a first jumping it because there's a lot to like process and consume when you're first watching something. But when you watch it, you know, ten times, you're like, yeah, I know this, I know that. Like you can keep up with it a little bit more. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Because so like speaking of historic elements, so I mean, it addresses early gangs. Uh, immigration, slavery, civil war, the Conscription Act, draft riots, you know, politics, corrupt politics, class wars, uh, nativism, and you have the whole, you know, revenge story, right? The very, like, human story. Um, And I think, like, going back to the level of detail, to me, that's what makes it so great, but it's, I can see how it can be too much. Yeah. Like, they're trying, they're trying to cover so much of this era and this, um, you know, this, this point in time that, you know, maybe it's a little too overwhelming, but yeah, I do think if you watched it a couple more times, you'd probably appreciate it more and more. Yeah. I know. Like with the like real portrayal of events and everything that was, I was very interested in that, um, specifically like the civil war draft and everything that was happening with, 
um, as they said in the movie, you know, like at the time the North was invading the South and then the Irish, as they termed it, were invading the North. There was something like Mm -hmm. 15,000 Irish people coming off of boats each week, which is insane. And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, though, like they're coming off of these boats and immediately being turned into America. Like there is one shot in particular that is another favorite of mine um, where it's like a one track shot and you see the whole process unfold. And it's so so it's like the Irish come off the boats. They become American citizens. They immediately get turned into soldiers. They get on a boat to go fight in the Civil War. And a, a coffin comes off of the boat to show like how many have died from this. And I like I really liked how that was done because it was telling it without telling us in a way. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's a um, there's like a ballad playing in the background of that tracking shot. Yeah. And I'm assuming it, it's... Uh, that that song is historic. I don't think it was written for this for this movie, but it was really uh, powerful uh, hearing that with that uh, with that sequence yeah. in particular. I think that's something else. Like the movie does a really good job about, and I wish it kind of tapped into it to the it more. Was this idea of how like I think during that time period we're meant to think New York's is like this very sophisticated like you know space like they're elevated thinkers like and you know cultured cultured and like anti-slavery all of this but when it Mm -hmm. we actually see it that's not how it's portrayed in the movie a lot of people in the north did not support the emancipation proclamation and spoiler racism is everywhere so you know these things that were taught in history books where it's like the north was good and the south was bad no like right it's not that way yeah it's so much more complicated um than that and i also kind of to your point or at least where you started um it is rare very rare that we see this new york in this time period um, usually you're seeing like kind of Age of Innocence, another um, Scorsese uh, movie where it's the, the you know, uber wealthy New York. Mm-hmm. And then I also feel like, you know, when we see um, New York, it might it's like maybe later um, 1800s, so more like 1890 um, and then early 20th century. So again, that's what's so nice about this. It's, it's just a different depiction, a different a very different uh, New York City than what we typically see on screen. Yeah. And I think that is something that also drew me into the first scene, which we can maybe go ahead and talk about now, is that it's, um, you know, the, all of this, all of these events unfold in the first 15 minutes, and then they have a zoom out, and you can see it's New York in 1846. But the way that it's shown on screen makes me feel like, what like world are we in? Where is this located? This does not feel like New York to me at all. And so I really like couldn't imagine, um, you know, the, that this was what New York City at least used to be. Um, so when we're first introduced to like these characters in this first scene, it's like they are all getting ready for battle. Um, they're, you know, getting all of their weapons together. They're getting their armor together. They're like doing this shot of them walking and marching through, I don't know if they're underground tunnels and like this building thing, but yeah, it seems very, um, like 
medieval almost in a way and then you're like nope mm-hmm. this is the 18th tribal yeah tribal this is where literally in my notes I was like Liam Neeson but then I kept <laughs> getting super excited because I was like John C. Riley, and then I was like Mad Eye Moody um fuck I forgot that uh what's his, that actor's name uh, Brent, Brent, Brendan Gleeson <laughs> always gotta throw a Harry Potter reference in there but yeah literally I think I wrote <laughs> Mad Eye Moody in most of my notes and then I was like I think his name's Monk so I switched to Monk halfway through um but yeah so like we see that like there's drum beats and everything and then they open the, the, the door to go out into this space and it's quiet kick it yeah open. kick it open yeah and it's quiet and there's snow on the ground and it's so like different in contrast to what we had just been watching so um it makes you feel very unsettled I think and then it like mm. they all come marching out and they're standing on you know the snow in the open and then you look and you see people start coming out of another building uh led by none other than Daniel Day-Lewis who is play or is playing um Billy the Butcher uh Cuttings what is Billy Cutting. okay yeah Bill the Butcher, Bill the Butcher. yeah Cutting and my god what a mustache on that man <laughs> yeah and you also i think you get like the like the close-up of his eye that it's like it's a glass eye with an eagle yeah i was like a glass eye with a fucking eagle my god um i actually didn't think that i realized it was an eagle shaped um thing i don't know if it was like the quality of picture but i didn't even notice that till i was looking at pictures on imdb but yeah he's got this curly and mustache he's got a top hat he's just like all decked out ready to go he looked very cartoonish but like not in a I'm not like meaning in a condescending way it's very um I think you don't know what to expect yeah I think I saw some um I think it was in the piece you sent me that referred use that word cartoon I was like "Eh, it's not it's like it's it's mythical yeah mythological um uh and I just, I had to get this out of the way because it's like my favorite. And I think it's the first lines that we hear like before the fight. And it's like the first time you hear um, Bill the Butcher speak. And he says, is this it, priest, the Pope's new army? A few crusty bitches and a handful of ragtags? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. You did. And every time he says it, I like say it with him. <laughs> you had a great accent. That's why I was like, I hope she does it with his, Thank with you. his accent. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't lean into it too much, but I try to get the spirit of it. Yeah. Um, but it's just like immediately iconic. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Well, and I know like, yeah. I, I mean, I also was a bit spoiled because I watched the trailer for this and I was like, I think Liam Neeson dies in like the first, you know, whatever, 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. So, you know, he's someone who's at least, um, you know, the butcher is someone to be uh, to watch out for. And yeah, like he, he kills Liam Neeson and I wrote not Liam, not Liam, but he died. <laughs> um, yeah. The whole like yeah. battle sequence I thought was interesting too in that. Um, I don't know if there was like an electric guitar playing at one point. There was some mm-hmm. interesting choices made. Um, but like, yeah, people are killing each other left and right. You've got a woman like acting like Hell a cat, cat. yeah, biting off noses. And I was just like, what the <laughs> acting fuck? like a cat. No, she ears are her thing. Um, or oh, ears yeah, are ears. trophies yeah. of the day. 
Yeah, that um, battle scene is really interesting. And there are some, like, cinematic techniques that typically would not be my jam. There's some, First of all, that music is very kind of jarring. Yeah. Because it's, it's not period music, right? <laughs> um, there is uh, there are some slow motion um, shots. Um, I do appreciate how um, the violence really builds like at first you see like you see bill the butcher like stabbing people but you don't actually see like blood or or you know the knife going in or or the you know whatever blade going in and then it slowly increases to where by the end it's very bloody and very blind uh, um violent and hellcat maggie is you know chewing people's uh (laughs) uh ears off so um yeah the music is jarring but um and we see some of those um same techniques not really so much with the music, but well, actually, with the music, but just not electric guitar. <laughs> um, I I think um, Scorsese really uses music, um, some slow motion, not a ton, but some slow motion. There are also some like fast jarring camera yeah. movements, and to me, I think the effect is really because this, this world is and these characters are um, kind of folklorish and and mythological like i mentioned and i think he you know he uses music to introduce characters in a very dramatic way and call attention to them and almost you know hold them up as as myth um and then same with some of the camera movements so they may not have been like typically my my jam my style but i appreciated you know i think the the purpose of some of those things yeah there's obviously a big like music number at the very end um with Mm -hmm. the u2 song which i didn't even realize um i don't know if that was written for this movie or i think it i think it or not but it's like called the hands that built america i think it was nominated for best song which i put lol um i don't know i've not i didn't listen to the entire thing but yeah like there's definitely musical aspects that he scorsese likes to add throughout the movie i think yeah um yeah can we can we mention um we i mean this cast is you don't need to say much about it but i wanted to point out um cameron diaz yeah um i think this is her only period piece Mm. i did a scan through her um, imdb um it's one of few dramatic roles i mean she's she's more known for her comedic roles uh, but especially up to that point and i thought it was a really interesting casting choice if you have to say there's a weak link is it her? Sure. But I actually think she does. she's really good and really suited for this character. Um, I remember, like, in my first couple of watches, like, maybe her accent <laughs> didn't ring true at times. Um, but otherwise, I, I thought she I thought she was good for Jenny. Yeah. She was a character who grew on me because when we're first introduced mm-hmm. to her, she's very almost like, cartoonish irish where she is just like top of the yeah. morning to you and i'm just like yeah oh lord what are we getting into what is it what does she say in the grace and favor of the lord yeah yeah. It yeah but it's like so yeah. exaggerated that i'm just like please like let this not be the case the entire movie and it wasn't for <laughs> me like really like the yeah. opening scene was the was the only time where i felt like it was pretty not- noticeably bad but she definitely grew on me as i continued to watch the movie and i love jenny like she is a very yeah. cool character um 
I just, you know, I like that we get to see kind of a day in her life when Leonardo DiCaprio's Amsterdam is following her around where like he sees her on mm-hmm. the uh, train or whatever it is called, the little um, trolley. trolley. Yeah. And she has like fake arms so she can pickpocket. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, that girl's yeah. smart. And then she dresses as a maid and sneaks into rich people's homes to steal from them. And I'm like, that's also very smart. Um, yeah. So yeah, I liked her a lot, especially. Yeah, she has a, a whole you know backstory, and we just get like a tiny little yeah um, you know look into it. Um, but I mean, I, I think you, you can say that about all these characters, right? That they all have um, very interesting backstories that we you know just allude to. Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. I was just gonna say um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, so this was his biggest role really since Titanic, which was five years earlier, and I feel like it's really the first time that we see that like he's all he's all grown up, <laughs> and he's a man now, and he's got some serious acting chops um, and some serious range. So to me, I feel like it's kind of a defining performance for him. It's also the first time that he and Martin Scorsese mm. um, work together, and then they end up working on like five other films or something like that. So, just in terms of his career, I feel like this is a really big role. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that from what I read, like it was almost like they were hesitant to cast him because he was more of like the heartthrob kind of role, mm-hmm. but Scorsese brought him on board and really elevated him into this more of like a dramatic actor. Um, kind of stance so dirtied him Mm -hmm. up oh he did have some really nasty teeth though i was just like he kept smiling and i was like "Mm." oof really (laughs) dicaprio's teeth were so bad but you know what his his irish accent was it felt authentic so i forgave him for his shitty teeth (laughs) you know it's historically accurate i don't think they had toothpaste back then i don't know what they what they would even use so yeah um yeah well speaking of like there's like you said so many people in this cast i feel like it's a good time to talk about how literally everyone is a piece of shit in this movie be except for like (laughs) you know amsterdam and uh and uh jenny because everybody so you know john c Riley's character you know um Happy Jack, sorry, I'll say them by the characters' names. Happy Jack, McLoin, um, all of these people were on Priest Valiant's side fighting with him. And then literally when Amsterdam comes back to New York after being in, was it Hell's Gate growing mm-hmm. up? Orphanage. Everybody sold out and decided to join on the side of the butcher. And I was like, oh, all right, so you are, you're a traitor, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're a traitor, you're a traitor, <laughs> like, Happy Jack's a cop now. Um, like, fuck yeah. you, fuck you, I like that guy, yeah. fuck you. You're on my list, you're on my list, you're on my list. Um, yeah, so then McLoin works for Bill now, and then Johnny is kind of his lapdog, which I give Johnny, like, a teeny bit of a pass, because he was a kid at when, like, this all first happened but everybody mm-hmm. everybody dropped their you know morals yeah they turn coat turncoats that's what it's called they're turncoats but they also so like the dead rabbits which is the gang that they were in um and they lost in that opening battle and the dead rabbits were outlawed you couldn't even say their name um these are still people who are immigrants um 
so yes, they, I would say they're, uh, most of them are pieces of shit because they're, they're racist fucks. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, you know, going to, you know, ride with, with Bill the Butcher, it's, you know, it's survival. I get it. It's survival. But <laughs> yeah, I, I get that part of like, well, we lost so but you know maggie ended up what she like oh started owning her own tavern or something um along those lines i felt like she wasn't as yeah. you know ingrained in joining his side and joining bill's side yeah she found a way to survive without having to like you know declare loyalties yeah. Either way. Um, but who's who's going to fuck with Hellcat Maggie? No. Okay? She has literal, literal claws. Okay? She like sharpened claws. Sharpened teeth, too. I... Oh, and her teeth. Her teeth. Yes. Her teeth. Yeah. Those pointy ass teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fine, Maggie. Yeah. You, you do you. Yeah. We won't we won't push you. Even Bill's just like, yeah. Uh, hard pass. You can. You don't have to join. Don't fuck with yeah, her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's really interesting because I was reading this article from Collider and this is why one reason why I want to go back and watch this at least opening scene again is because they talked about how in a way all of their like turncoat tradery ways is it's kind of revealed in the first 15 minutes if you look at it from that lens of knowing that they eventually do that so you know when young amsterdam is walking through like he sees all of the people getting ready for battle and so like he sees mcgloin smile um, as he's sharpening knives and you think it's a comforting smile but then it's maybe more so a beguiling smile because he's kind of like it's a wolf in sheep's clothing um and then also like happy jack um has this like really determined look but amsterdam looks unnerved by him and that could foreshadow happy jack's defection and then johnny goes like which side are you on amsterdam and amsterdam goes what do you think the dead rabbits and that kind of reveals johnny's betrayal later so i thought that was just an interesting like uh theory to look back on yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would. Um, I don't know if I could read into like there's any kind of plan, but I do think part of it too is like they're honoring the rules of the game, which is we battled, he killed priest, we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and going into that battle, then you know they maybe that was on their mind of like if this thing doesn't go our way, what are we gonna do? And maybe their plan B was, and I guess we'll just, you know, kiss Bill the Butcher's ass. Um, oh, and, and Monk is the other one. Monk and Hellcat Maggie. Yes. Monk um, sticks to his own. He runs a, a barber shop. Yeah. Um, he eventually, you know, runs for office, and we see in the film. But um, he he stands as a lone wolf. Yeah, because, well. like, in the beginning, they're like, which side are you fighting on today? And he's like... Right. Um, guess yours because you'll give me money for every like ticks that I have notch. notch that I have in my club or or whatever so he's mm-hmm. he's always been he was always he at least was on yeah. it like all right you're up front yeah. about it um he's like what yeah what do you pay me, me yeah. everybody else if you're not ride or die I mean for Liam Neeson mm-hmm. what are you doing here <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah. What are you doing with your life? If you aren't willing to die for Liam Neeson. This episode has now become a Liam Neeson like uh, fan club. Thanks for joining. 
I don't think I knew how your love for Liam Neeson. I just Neeson. really like Liam Neeson. I mean, I I love him too. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Um. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about another actor. I really want to bring up. Obviously, we've been talking about him. It's Daniel Day Lewis as Billy the Butcher, mm-hmm. and we all know Daniel Day Lewis is very well known for being a method actor. Um. So you know. The thing for me is I want to know how deep does he go in with his method acting because Bill the Butcher Cutting is a terrible person. He's a racist, confederate, anti-immigrant asshole. And so I just want to know in real life, like where does he draw, where does Daniel Day-Lewis draw the line as far as act, like with the method acting of it all? Um, I hope he's not. He doesn't like carry that. I know he definitely takes it off set and he continues like to talk with the accent and everything after, you know, filming has stopped for the day. But it, that is something that I wondered when I was watching this. Yeah, I, you know, I know I read like um, he he shadowed a butcher mm-hmm. um, to really understand um, and his his character is based at least loosely on a real person, um, William Bill the Butcher Poole. Um, and so I know he, he did that. I know he really worked to master the accent and the accent that would have been like of that, you know, New York of that period. Um, I think I, I saw like, he was always Bill the Butcher. Like he didn't, you know, in between takes and stuff, like he didn't come in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people, you know, maybe referred to him as, as Bill or he didn't answer. I, I don't know. And I hope he's not a dick about it. We've talked before about yeah. how method actors can get. Um, their egos can get a little too big and they can kind of be nightmares. I don't, I've not that I've looked that much, but I've never heard like nightmares like that about um, Daniel Day Lewis. But um, yeah, that I've wondered that before in general characters in particular who have to either play racist and say racist things or who ha- like, who have to um, like simulate rape yeah, uh, or be a rapist. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do that as an actor. That's tough. Yeah, we talked before, like, uh, or at least me, like my whole like stance on method acting is I don't particularly like it because, like, I think there are some dangerous lines that you can draw from from that, and how much is it like is the method acting an excuse for you just acting like a dick? Um, so Mm-mm. yeah, like, there's definitely some. I have some weird feelings about it, but I think like one thing I had read was that because I, I there wasn't really much I could find as far as how he really acted off off set other than like they all went to dinner once and the waitress was very afraid of Daniel Day Lewis uh, when they went out for dinner. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, the man's committed. Uh, I'll give him that. Like he learned how to tap his fake eye with the tip of the knife, like the Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the yeah, the fact that they had, he actually like, had, ding, like, ding. A, some glass prosthetic, yeah. And then he, like, stood, stayed um, up all night, like, practicing, and I was like, commitment. I mean, good for you. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah. I mean, you can tell, right? Like, it fucking pays off. I read somewhere that he was he was really grossed out um, yes. by Bill the Butcher's hair, because it's very, like, long and greasy. And so as soon as he could, uh, he shaved his Yeah, head. I saw that too. Which I, I mean, yeah. his hair got much, it seemed to like it would get progressively greasier as the movie went on. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, God, that looks 
awful. Like his mustache looked much, much better than, than, than the hair on his head. Um, one of my favorite fun facts that I came across, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but I had read that Daniel Day-Lewis listened to Eminem to prepare for his role. And I just think that that is something so special that everybody should know. I hope that's true. That's, that's I just amazing. Because what do you listen to? to you get only to get one character? shot. Do not miss your chance to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I see. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I hope that's true. Yeah. He seems like the sweetest, like most soft-spoken person. Yeah. Like when, in real life. I mean, when he played Lincoln, which is also like a funny thing because mm-hmm. his character hates Lincoln in this movie. And then he went on to play yeah. Lincoln in the movie Lincoln. How many times can I say Lincoln? Um, yeah, like he seems mm-hmm. so like soft spoken. I mean, I know that's another role that he has to portray, too, but definitely like, yeah, he has a range. He also he plays. I actually haven't seen Age of Innocence. I tried watching it. Sometime in the past year or two, and uh, I just it was it was boring to me. Yeah. I have a thing with like stories with about rich people it doesn't do it for me. Um, but he plays like an upper class wealthy yeah. person in this. In um, I think it's maybe like 1870, so you know just after the timeline on this film. So it's cool that he got to play kind yeah. of like both sides of that era. Um, there's something else that I think is a good segue into another scene that I thought was that I really liked. Um, so I didn't like, I didn't dislike everything in the middle. There were, there were standout, standout scenes. Um, <laughs> but there was something else I had read where he like employed some circus workers to teach him how to throw knives. And it's in relation mm. to that knife throwing scene, which is another like really great scene. Um, I don't know if he really did throw those knives. I think if I were Cameron Diaz, I'd be a little, no, no. <laughs> not doing that. No, sir. No, no sir. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like yeah. at that point, so maybe I should backtrack because like Amsterdam kind of gets in with Billy's crowd and I don't know. I, I keep switching between Bill and Billy. Um, and I know. Butcher. I like that you call him Billy. <laughs> we're, on a, we're on a Billy basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, so at this point, like Amsterdam gets in with his crowd. Um, he seems to develop a very strange father-son relationship with Bill. Um, and then there's like an assassination attempt on Bill at one point, which Amsterdam saves him from. Um, but ultimately, like, I guess that was the turning point for Amsterdam. I, it's strange to me that he ingratiated himself with Bill and seemed to have an internal struggle over, do I want to kill him or do I like him? And then this whole like point of him saving Bill from, from the assassin is what compels him to want to like continue his vengeance threat. I think that was something like, I'm not, if I was going to, um, you know, have another complaint about is like that just whole internal struggle didn't seem to be explored as much. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the reasons he saves Bill, I, first of all, what I love about this movie is that it is a, in, in one way, a classic revenge story, mm-hmm. father, or I'm sorry, son avenging the death of his father. <clears throat> um, but there are so many layers, right? So, um, Bill, Billy, <laughs> Willie, <laughs> um, he has, uh, Bill the Butcher has a great, um, 
respect and fondness for Priest. Um, even though they're literally trying to kill each other and then he does kill him. He says he's the only person he's ever killed worth remembering. He keeps a portrait of Priest up on a mantle mm. to kind of honor him in that way. You know, he te- right after killing Priest, he tells everyone no hands yeah. shall touch him because um, he'll, he'll pass over whole. Um, so I love that. And then, and then the fact that Amsterdam does, um, develop this kind of admiration and fondness and kind of, uh, father son relationship and, and Bill starts to see Amsterdam as a, um, as a son. I, I love that conversation where Amsterdam's in bed and, and Bill creepily just sitting there (laughs) wakes him up anyway. And he, it kind of ends with him saying, I never had a son and that's it. That's all he had to say. And it, so I love all that. Now, in terms of this kind of um, struggle that Amsterdam has, um, that your your criticism criticism makes sense. I will say I think part of why he saves him is because it has to be him that kills him, mm. right? It has to be him that kills him in a specific way. He says in the beginning, when you kill a king, you don't stab him in the dark. You kill him where the entire court can watch him die. Mm. That's why he has planned to kill him at this, um, where he does, or where he attempts to kill him. It's at this um, event to commemorate that battle yeah. um, that we see in the beginning. And so there's also poetry there, right, to, to kill him at yeah. that um, particular uh, event um, and to do it in front of everyone. So I think that's part of why, like, nobody else can kill him. It has to be him. And then even if, like, he has this struggle... Um, it would have been very hard to believe for him to change his mind, like for, for Amsterdam to change his mind and say, I can't kill him. That would have been really hard to, to believe based off of the character that we've seen and the story that we've seen. So I guess my point is like, it's not surprising to me that he stays the course, even though it's yeah. very difficult and complicated. He ultimately is, is just staying the course of his original plan. yeah and i like never suspected that he was ever not gonna try to kill uh bill i felt like that's very much where this story is going to be leading to um for me i just wanted a little bit more of like maybe any a recognition of amsterdam from amsterdam in his you know turmoil or like maybe a hesitation or something um in that decision but ultimately like we know it's gonna happen um by the end of the movie and i i too really liked that scene where bill is talking to him and saying you know it really i think as much as bill is a terrible terrible person um he really gets humanized i think in this moment because he talks about how the priest and i had similar principles we were just divided by faith which faith is like a kind of a crux as to why there are so many like gains who are against each other because you've got the Irish Catholics and then you've got the Protestant natives and um, that's really what it comes down to and I think it was also a fun interesting well not fun but like just a nice <laughs> fact to know that the priest gave Bill his fake eye um, so but he spared Bill so that mm-hmm. he could live in shame and you know like goes into bill recognizes that the priest was an honorable man so yeah i definitely liked that part and i feel like that would have added to amsterdam's like ultimate like 
uncertainty over like is this am I doing the right thing like what what's going on um I just feel like it it's like as soon as the assassination attempt happened Amsterdam goes and like it looks like he like has a panic attack and to me that was like him being like I should have let him get shot why didn't I let him get shot interesting um so that's kind of how I read it don't know you know obviously there's there's not much there to to pull from um, but then that seems to amplify him into wanting to do it himself um, and do it in front of the crowd, um, which is where we get the knife. All of this to say, let me go back to the knife scene, which was really <laughs> a really great scene. Um, and, you know, before Amsterdam can do this, Johnny gets in the way and tells Bill who Amsterdam really is. Um, because Johnny's a little jealous of Amsterdam and Jenny. Who, I mean, it's Johnny's sh- a little bitch. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> Just be real. No, for sure. Um, <laughs> he did not do the right thing here. And then so, yeah, Bill knows it at this point, And he's just really, like, playing with Jenny and Amsterdam. Like, when he throw- is throwing the knives, um, getting it, like, as close to Cameron Diaz's neck as possible. And, yeah, I thought that was, like... A terrific scene, and then obviously, you know, Amsterdam's assassination attempt goes very, very poorly. Uh, very yeah, bad. Very right bad. off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> does not go well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. um, going back to so the way I read his like panic attack scene was just the realization that there are some there are a lot of comp- complexities here of like he he wants to and has to kill this man. Um. But he's developing those father-son kind of um, bonds and feelings. So that's how I read that. And then, if I may, I want to talk a little bit about the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are so many amazing fucking quotes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and first to give uh, props. So this is written by Jay Cox, Stephen Zelayan. I don't know if I'm saying that right, so sorry. And Kenneth Lonergan. Um, and the quotes. Some of them are just iconic and fun. Um, like the, the one I, I read, you know, the Pope's new army, a few crusty bitches and a handful of <laughs> ragtags. But then I, some of them, I think, also are these concise quotes that come in, like, narration that actually say so much. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of those. Um, staying on Amsterdam for a second and kind of his internal struggle, here's one quote we get from narration that I think speaks volumes. He says, it's a funny feeling being taken under the wing of a dragon. It's warmer than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Right. That, I think that tells a lot about um, kind of his headspace and just blatantly tells us that he is struggling with, you know, these, these feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, another one that's uh, in the beginning that I think explains um bill the butcher's influence and position in this world is when he's with uh william tweed uh the politician in his office and he's talking about the five points it also just sets up the five points really well and he says each of the five points is a finger when i close my hand it becomes a fist and if i wish i can turn it against you and he's saying this to an elected you know uh politician in his office so that tells us a ton about, again, Bill the Butcher, who he is, and his, his position here. And also tells us a little bit about the five points, because we see, like, the different streets that make up the five uh, points. Um, I read that, you know, when you kill a king, you stab him in the dark. Mm-hmm. That really sets up, you know, this is, 
you know, this is Amsterdam's mission. This is the, the, the plan. And so we, um, because we do stray a lot, right? That to your point, there's a lot going on, but we know as the, as the viewer, this event is where he plans to kill him. So we're all kind of building up, um, to that event. Um, I took the father. Now I'll take the son. I mean, I mean, come on. Yeah. Just fucking iconic. Um, and then last one that I'll, I'll throw out there for, well, actually I'll, I'll say the blood stays on the blade, which is like the first thing we hear. Um, uh, and then, um, Amsterdam talking about, um, the five points area. And he says it wasn't a city really, it was more of a furnace where a city someday might be forged, mm. which I just think is a perfect description um, of that time in that area. Yeah, no, like um, so. Just big, big props to the writers. They're they're fun <laughs> quotes. The, uh, certainly, how they're delivered, particularly by Daniel Day Lewis, mm. is a huge part of it. Um, but I also think they, to me, they really help move the story along. Yeah, I mean, not to like <clears throat> go right into talking about the end, but the last line that. Bill says is thank god I die a true American and then dies which is I've heard or not heard I read (laughs) is pretty close to what the real Bill said uh, when he died too there was another line from Tweed like after that uh, scene happens where they're essentially burying all the people who got killed and he was like we're burying a lot of votes down here tonight and I was just like ew gross (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tweed. We haven't really talked about Tweed. That that was like a whole. That th- yeah. I mean, I get like talking like I get why he's there as a character and I get like the whole political tie in and, you know, the gangs are helping to fix the polls and influence voting because, you know, and this is like real at the time. They wanted to encourage uh, native born political leaders and not immigrants um so the politicians really connected like with the gangs to um try to get who they wanted to at the polls and we see that kind of portrayed in the election day although tweed just isn't in it for himself i mean he like sides with bill at one point then he sides with amsterdam and you know monk runs for sheriff like we said and you know that they're trying to get everyone to go vote Talk about a recount that Irish are sending their people two and three times to the the boxes to vote. And like there's one. Get a shave and a haircut. Go back. Yeah. There's (laughs) another like really great line. One by 3000 more votes than there are voters. And they're just like, yeah, it's okay. Whatever. Yeah, no, to a tweet is like only 3000, like make it 20,000. Like (laughs) has to be uh, no question about it. Yeah, um, I think, so, Scorsese, he wanted to tell this very personal human story, you know, the revenge, uh, son avenges his father's death story, but also, and and this is what he's kind of always done, like, he wants to tell the story of New York, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's why we see all this kind of, if you want to call it extra stuff, um, and, like, William Tweed was pretty essential to that time and place, so um, it probably would have been you know, weird to leave that out. Yeah. Um, but if I may, brief history lesson on uh, William Tweed. Um, so this is one of those things, again, there's a lot of myth in this world. 
um, and things that, that can't be confirmed. But um, William Tweed, we do know about. Uh, so basically, he was a crook and a fraud <laughs> uh, who plundered New York City into many millions of dollars of debt. Um, he was known for getting his all his cronies fraudulently elected into office, as, as is uh, portrayed in the film. He was an alderman, a congressman, a state senator, and the leader of Tammany Hall, mm. uh, which was the Democratic Party's kind of corrupt political um, machine. And we see Tammany Hall in this. Um, according to uh, History.com, he formed the, quote, Tweed Ring, which openly bought votes, encouraged judicial corruption, extracted millions from city contracts, and dominated New York City politics. The Tweed Ring reached its peak of fraudulence in 1871 with the remodeling of a city courthouse, a blatant embezzlement of city funds that was exposed by the New York Times. Mm. Journalism is important. Um, and then, uh, according to Britannica, good news is kind of uh, he doesn't have a great end. Um, he was tried on charges of forgery and larceny. He was convicted and sentenced to prison, but released a few years later. Then he was rearrested on a civil charge, convicted and imprisoned, but he escaped. Oh, my God. Which I didn't get into that story. But he escaped prison, uh, fled to Cuba, and then to Spain. He was again arrested and extradited to the U.S., confined to jail in New York City, where he died. So he wow. died in jail. So. He, he maybe you find some solace in knowing this very bad corrupt man uh, died in jail in New York City. I think that's in poetic. New York City, yeah, yeah. Hopefully he served time like with people that he fucked over. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, all of the gang members <laughs> who might have been in there. Woof. Yeah. Woof. Woof. Uh, yeah. That's that's insane. I mean, that was the one thing where I was like, man, of all the people who had to die this motherfucker is still alive like literally we yeah. saw this mo- this mob that forms at the end which we'll we'll get to but like literally they t- like destroy everything and everyone but somehow mr tweed comes out unscathed from that i was like what the yeah. fuck yeah i had that question too like why the fuck is he untouchable yeah which ultimately he wasn't but in the right, movie right. he seems pretty untouchable yeah i think the thing so like like, I get the having, like, the political conversation. We also see all these other things happening with um, the Civil War draft, like we mentioned, and then the ultimate, like, riot that happens at the end. Um, and all of that feels like things that are happening in, in the outlier to this, like, central story that is happening with Amsterdam, personally. I... I I get having all of that historical context and everything. I just feel like some of it, I just kind of wanted to focus on this simple story almost of like Amsterdam and his struggle. And I just don't feel like I got that as much as I would have wanted to, which I think makes me feel like maybe that's why I feel a little muddled is because I'm kind of being pulled in these other directions of like what to like absorb and pay attention to. But ultimately, I just want to be, like, in this simple story. Um, Yeah. And so I know, like, they had a lot of, like, I was just reading about some of, like, the background and how they made this movie. And first of all, did not know that he started this process in June of 1977. Um, Well, that's when production started. Um, Like, or, like, was first, like, supposed to start. And... The movie didn't come out until 
December of 2002. So like a huge, like long process. I know it took for Scorsese to like get this uh, movie made, but like one of the things I'd read in there was that they they would go through several versions of the script and you know like maybe day of Scorsese would decide which version they were going to shoot so maybe there wasn't as much um you know continuity and like what was happening in the moment so maybe like that's why it feels a little like much to me um I don't know it just feels like a lot's like thrown in like the kitchen sink and I'm like can we just like maybe like take some things out that would maybe be a little bit more beneficial. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you you know, we're talking about masters of their craft, you know, um, like Martin Scorsese and, and Daniel Day Lewis and, um, you know, the writers, the production designer. And so I, I feel like these were, you know, all intentional decisions and they knew what they're doing. Again, I think it, it, it depends on kind of your expectation and, and what you like. So, for example, without going too into Avatar <laughs> to The Way of Water, um, but I think we texted about this briefly. Um, that's how long was that? That was like three hours? Yeah, three, three hours. hours. Yeah. Um, and there's a good chunk where it's not even story. We're just exploring the new world mm-hmm. in this in the sequel. And I didn't mind it at all. I fucking loved it because it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's interesting, whatever. And so for me, with this, even as we're, you know, kind of, you know, veering, which I don't even know that I would say I feel like we're veering off of the story of Amsterdam um, as much as complimenting it. Um, But I found all those things interesting. Again, like the story of New York um, or this, you know, this version of it. to me, that was all, you know, more than interesting enough to keep me. Yeah. Um, but it's not, you know, that won't be the case for everyone. Um, let me ask you this. Did you know this is going to be apparently a TV show? They are making... That I think that's been a rumor for, like, a long time. Okay, well, I look, like, when I was, like, doing Gains of New York into Google search, like, a bunch of articles in October of this past year had come out saying that Scorsese's signed on to be an executive producer for this TV show that is essentially going to be Gains of New York, but just told with, like, different characters. Um, There's, like, they had a screenwriter attached to it from Fear the Walking Dead. Like, there hasn't been any update since. Like, they were shopping around to see, like, you know, for streaming services or cable and that sort of thing. But I kind of think I might like a TV show better because you have the time to get into some of this stuff a little bit more um versus like trying to fit it all into you know a two hour 40 minute movie with a tv show I feel like there's time to grow to like see like these different like storylines and the history of it all um I kind of like it I I think I might like it more as a tv show yeah, I mean, I would for sure um, watch it, and it wouldn't be his first foray into TV. Um, and and I wonder if, you know, if he was trying to make this for the first time now, if he would have, you know, started with a TV yeah. series. Just because, again, this is kind of a golden age um, of, of TV, mm-hmm. and there is just so much material there. There's so much stuff to sink your teeth into yeah. um so yeah i feel like that's been a rumor for a while um so i'm not keeping my hopes up but yeah 
I'll watch it, especially if it's HBO. Yeah. It's like an HBO joint. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a, it would be HBO. Like, I feel... Yeah, for HBO sure. HBO gets the grittiness of, like, yeah. TV shows, so... Yeah, and Scorsese did um, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Mm, right, with yeah, HBO, they mentioned so that. It seems like that would... That would make sense. Yeah, they mentioned that in that in that same article. Um, yeah. So ultimately, like all of this comes down to this New York draft riot. So like everything we've talked about, like all these outlier things are happening in the background, in tandem with Amsterdam struggle, and ultimately it comes down to what is called the 1863 draft riots, which was a multi-day deadly riot sparked by the Civil War draft. And so we um, we see everybody uh, not as, not part of like Bill and Amsterdam's groups. We see everybody else leaving to riot the draft and form a mob. At the same time, Amsterdam prepares for battle with Bill. Yeah. And he's kind of like I don't, bad timing. He's like I, I don't know what's going on over there. Like I have my focus. I'm I'm battling Bill today. And so it's like truly a very chaotic scene. Um, you know, we get shots of not only Amsterdam preparing for battle in a very similar way to how his father prepared for battle, which I really liked. Um, we also mm-hmm. see the mob destroying everything in New York. They're like going into the richy rich places and, um, breaking windows and looting and, um, also killing a lot of people, like specifically like black people and lynching them, which was also very uncomfortable for, for me to see that. Um, but like, you know, the, the police, um, are also like firing on the mob and then you, okay. So we essentially see Bill and Amsterdam getting ready to fight and a fucking ship fires a cannon <laughs> into the area of five points and blows everything up and it's just pandemonium pandemonium um yeah that's like kind of where everything culminates and they can't avoid it anymore at that point yeah um so let me do another little mini uh history lesson draft riots something else that we know this this is uh very much based um in history so it was five days of rioting in July 1863. It was uh, one of the bloodiest and most restu- destructive uh, riots in American history, and it is known as the most deadly. Uh, the official like published death toll at the time was 119, but estimates go as high as 1,200 wow. people who died, uh, many of them black people. As you see in the film, black people were targeted. They were lynched. Um, as you kind of noted before, like, you know, we're often taught the simplistic idea of North versus South and that the North was anti-slavery uh, when in fact many New Yorkers were against the Civil War um, and resisted the end of slavery because of their trade and economic ties to the South and what that end of slavery would mean. Um, despite, be- despite being outlawed in New York, underground slavery persisted um, and we see there was rampant violence and, and racism against Black people. Um, it is true, according to history.com, that you could pay $300 mm-hmm. to avoid the draft. So it became this thing where basically if you were if you were not wealthy, if you were not uber wealthy, then you could not um, avoid the draft, um, which I think explains, you know, even more of the, the tensions and the resistance mm-hmm. um, that followed. Um, also, uh, I thought this was interesting to note that newly arrived immigrants – 
were told this narrative that freed enslaved people would steal their jobs and put their livelihood at risk. Oh, Jesus. And, right. And so, you know, you <clears throat> you arrive in a, in a foreign land, you're being treated um, as uh, un-American, uh, treated like animals, and then you're told that these people, people who are black, are going to come and steal your livelihood. You're going to go into survival yeah. mode, and you turn your, you know, you, you turn your angers and fears um toward black people so i just thought that was all um interesting context and really what we see in the film um i think i read somewhere that like i'd have to watch it again but like you know every it's like everyone's carrying axes axes and shit that that probably wasn't the case that people were maybe so armed Mm -hmm. um but it does seem like it, it really was um, based pretty closely on the real events and what we know of, of the draft riots. And again, that was a piece of history that I did not know about. Yeah, same. Um, until I saw this movie. So Yeah. No, I mean, as far as like getting a sense of history during this time frame, I think there are a lot of benefits to just learning about this unknown piece in our history. And it's probably, you know, not something that we as Americans want to be teaching because it does not shine a great light on us. So to have this kind of medium um, through movies to be able to explore this more and like just, you know, create awareness over, yeah, we were pieces of shit in this time. And there were a lot of factors, both on both sides that ultimately led to this unfortunate thing happening. But, um, you know, at least we can see and learn about it now through, through Gains of New York. Um, yeah. I can't believe it took me lo- this long to mention, but I wrote a paper, a 20-page paper, on Gangs of New York and kind of how it, dr- it addressed this idea of, um, like, what is American mm-hmm. and what is white, like, defining whiteness. Because, again, um, you know, Irish people who are whites um, are showing up, and it's not just... Um, in their case, they're, they're, they're looked at as, as foreigners mm-hmm. and un-American, even though they um, have the privilege um, of being white. So anyway, I, I, um, I think it was, it was for a film class that was about like race portrayed um, on mm. screen, something, you know, something like that. Yeah. And I was like, man, I wonder where that paper is. I bet it's, Ooh. I bet it's lost forever. I was able to find ah! it. <laughs> yeah, I was able to find it. Um, again, it's 20 pages, so I actually haven't even read the whole thing but it's very college papery i was like, like did you read it and you're like oh, or were you like "Ooh, it's still good it wasn't a total it wasn't a total cringe but um yeah. you know yeah it's, it's just college papery like you know hmm. as as fry jacobson says in his book <laughs> like you know <laughs> racism in early america right. uh, but you know it, well but yeah i think it was at this point that i texted you this is depressing. And you were like, ha ha. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like ultimately, um, you know, we see Bill die as we've mentioned. Um, this is where true American. It, it got, if anything, cartoonish because the blood that's sprayed out of this man, like, I do not think that. Man, you, you hit, yeah, you hit the right artery. If 
Fuck yeah, that happens. Well, then, I like, mean, I, ha- I haven't sliced many arteries, but, <laughs> like, for my random knowledge. But, uh, of... yeah, then, like, Amsterdam just gets sprayed with, like, blood all over him from, from this wound. So I guess he killed him with the same knife that Bill used to kill the priest, um, from what oh, yeah. I had read. I oh, okay. First, I thought it was just, like shrapnel or you know just like like because there was a lot of bomb, like cannons going well, off there wa- and yeah. stuff i just thought it was like like something hit him and that's how bill died but i that yeah that is shrapnel in, yeah. in his side and then um oh uh, yeah Amsterdam finishes it yeah but yeah. i thought that was the priest uh i thought it was his dad's knife but i i you could be right. So I don't, know. I don't know if it was the knife or if it was his razor because i was like oh he got the razor back that's how mm-hmm. he's gonna kill uh, Bill, but yeah. then I read it was the knife, so I don't know. But there was also the knife that was that uh, after Priest was killed, was kind of laid on Priest, mm-hmm. and then Young Amsterdam grabs it, you know, and, yeah. and starts waving the knife. Um, so maybe it was that knife. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, we're but, not quite sure what I don't know what, what he was he killed with. Either Sorry. way, it was symbolic. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Yeah. And yeah. poetic. And speaking of, of symbolic and poetic, and going back to this, you know, there's a lot going on in the movie. You could also look at it as the story of Amsterdam and Bill is really just an, an avenue to tell the story of New York, mm-hmm. with Bill representing old New York, the nativist, and Amsterdam and the immigrants representing new New York and the future of New York. And very literally at the end old new york bill dies i mean we have we have many more years left of <laughs> rampant um racism and violence but um so it didn't all end there um but it's very poetic and and symbolic in that way and i think that's why they decided uh the filmmakers to kind of end the movie there where the, it reaches the boiling point in terms of Amsterdam and Bill and also reaches this boiling point in terms of, you know, the civil war and, mm-hmm. and um, it coming to, to, to New York and, and all of that. So, um, can I, I want to read the last quote at some point. Yeah, go ahead. The quote that, clo- that closes. Cause one of my favorite so parts speak. is like the whole like city turn, like with yeah. it. Like I really loved that. Um, and then you, like, yeah. and then I was like, it's gonna it's gonna have the twin towers in it because of the way like when it came out and mm-hmm. they showed it and i was like damn Ugh. well you're right and then to think that skyline has has changed significantly yeah. yet again is yeah um okay so yeah so jenny and um amsterdam are now like across the river at like a little cemetery which i wonder if that cemetery was based off of a real cemetery hmm. um and we ha- we hear narration, and then you see the skyline starting to change, and it changes to to mo- at the time modern day yeah. um, uh, New York. Um, but this is the the quote that we end on. My father told me we was all born of blood and tribulation, and so then too was our great city. But for those of us, what lived and died in them furious days, it was like everything we knew was mightily swept away. And no matter what they did to build this city up again, for the rest of time, it would be like no one ever knew we was even here. Oh, wow. So it's a great line. 
And then that's when it you is. see like the whole like skyline change over the years yeah, yeah. and everything. And it's just like, yeah, like they literally yeah. like it never happened. Right. And, and how many of us didn't know? Yeah. I mean, we just said like we didn't we didn't know about, you know, things like the draft riots and kind of this snapshot in time um, before seeing this movie. And yeah, just I don't know. It just makes me think of like all the fucking history, even like right, I'm in, you know, random ass small suburb town of uh of kentucky but there's history here there's shit yeah. that happened here not this significant or maybe i don't know um <laughs> you know uh what part of the country wasn't touched by the civil war but um yeah there's just a lot of uh history underneath our feet it's just so crazy how unrecognizable new york city is in this mm-hmm. movie because it does not resemble anything like the new york city that we know now um it's just crazy just like a really a whole other world i will say specifically like lower manhattan and like five points yeah yes absolutely it looks entirely different but um that part of the city to me is so different because it's not like um the grid system Mm -hmm. it's a bunch of just intersect so it's a little more like chaotic and you still feel that um because it's still you know set up that way yeah um so it would be interesting to like watch this movie and then go walk through that area yeah and and, like you know like right after um also a good point to say which uh we haven't talked much about this yet, but um, production design by Dante A. Ferretti, um, who also worked on Age of Innocence, Casino, Cold Mountain, Sweeney Todd. Um, the set mm. was built in Italy. It's not a set. It's a whole ass oh, yeah. city. Like, I mean, top to bottom. Again, the level of detail. Um, I didn't write down the photographer's name because I know there's one photographer in particular that they referenced a lot, but they, they referenced a lot of um, maps and photos mm-hmm. and just like straight up replicated a lot of um, buildings. Um, so the actual like um, geography of this area was like meticulously yeah. designed to be historically accurate. And it was just, yeah, incredible. Yeah. No, that was another like, thing i read about behind the scenes is that one reason like they really didn't go into production until the 90s because it was like they had to literally build and recreate (laughs) all this like 1860s new york in rome which i think is funny um but yeah and like it was said that the set was so enormous there wasn't even enough extras to fill it and they had to like go find other people to 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 yeah. you know play the extras on the set um and a lot of this too is we didn't mention this but it's based on an actual book called The Gains of New York uh by Herbert Ashbery yep. so that's a lot of where Scorsese Which I pulled own. from Did you really? <laughs> I do. It's been in my you know my various bookcases for many years. I've never read it. Yeah. Um and that is like considered nonfiction. Um, I think like since its publication, there have been a lot of things that are called into question or that are, have just been like exaggerated. So like one thing you know I read with the gangs, there were a lot of these gangs that actually did exist, mm-hmm. but they maybe weren't as like violent as yeah. depicted in the movie. They were more kind of political mechanisms and like you know petty crime. Um, but I also, like, I, I read, like, one historian who said that um, the five points was no more 
crime-ridden than any other part of the city. And she said if you look back at the data in terms of, like, how many homicides there were, and you know, in that area in 1860 or whatever, it, you know, it was nothing, like, significant. Mm. But when you think about all of the corruption yeah. and chaos, it's, I mean, there's a point in the film where Tweed is talking to Bill and says, uh, I'm getting shit about the crime numbers. You got to do something about it. So who's to say, like, those numbers weren't totally, you know, fudged? Yeah. Ultimately, the only people who know are the people who were there. Yeah. <laughs> and, may- and maybe right after, right? Yeah. So let us, you know, let us uh, uh, use our imagination a little bit. Uh, yeah, for real. Um, speaking of, like, the gains that, that they talked about, too, how... Well, I think Scorsese, like, the reason why he was drawn to, like, telling the story is because of how, like, New York gangs didn't originate with Italian-Americans and the mafia. Like, it goes way back into, like, the Irish and, um, you know, native, whatever, born citizens in America, too. So that was, like, another interesting fact of, like... um, just like the history of gains in general and like where they originated. Um, and to like the dead rabbits, which was a, apparently a real gain. Like I read um, Al Capone has like ties leading back. Like it's obviously mm. he wasn't a dead rabbit, but he had ties leading all yeah. the way back there, which I thought was an, it was an interesting fact to, to learn about that history. Yeah. I also read that like, it wasn't as reli- um, driven by religion as portrayed hmm. the, the division as portrayed um, in yeah in the film um but then i guess where um martin scorsese grew up in little italy there was a lot of division Mm -hmm. um between like protestant and and irish catholic and so he's probably just inspired by that wanted to explore that here i could imagine that there would be like religious division no like even if it was outside of the gangs, like eat, like just in general, maybe at yeah. that time, just because that seems to exist no matter what. True. Um, cool. Well, is there anything <laughs> else you, you want to talk about before we get into our segments? Um, I don't think so. Something just popped in my mind, but okay. it quickly um, escapes. But I just love it. <laughs> well, you want to go first in our... Deflick moments. That's our first segment. Sure. Okay. I'll start with this. Why deflick are cut off ears currency? <laughs> what deflick are you gonna do with cut off ears? Because it's not just. Initially, I thought it was just like they're trophies. You know, Bill mm-hmm. says he says ears are are trophies or whatever of the day, and you get you get street cred for it or something. But then we see like Hellcat Maggie pay for booze with an ear yeah <laughs> at the bar at one point I'm like what but what is the bartender what are you gonna do with that like yeah right, you can't you can't go buy supplies <laughs> uptown with the fucking... i guess you could take the ear, like i don't ears. know some black market like trade is happening with these ear with these severed ears the black apparently. market ear <laughs> trade <laughs> it's it's a thing apparently <laughs> Um, okay, my deflick is, why deflick do people keep underestimating Butcher? Because literally, like, this man kills everybody, no matter what. And I think this really popped up for me once he killed Monk, and, um, you know, after Monk wins Sheriff, I was like, this is great! Um, then I was like, 
Billy, oh, Billy, there I go again. Bill, <laughs> <laughs> Bill is going to kill, like I knew Bill was going to kill him. Um, oh, uh-huh. kill, he, that's another nickname he should have had, Kill Bill. Bill the Kill, I don't know, <laughs> just riffing. Kill Bill. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but like literally Monk is like standing there looking down at Bill and he's like, let's just talk about this like adults and turns his back on him and then literally i don't know did he throw an axe at him or something yeah the he back of his did. fucking back or like a butcher knife and yeah. then like chops him Cleaver. to smithereens and i was just like you like monk don't ever turn your back on bill yeah that was that was one of mine to flick was what to flick was monk thinking turning his back mm-hmm. um and i guess at that point again like we talked about with tweed like why is tweed untouchable and tweed even like confronts um bill and says like what you can't you can't kill a politician what are you thinking um and no nothing happens to him i don't know why you're alive yeah i don't know why the fuck you haven't been clobbered well yeah that was actually another (laughs) why the flicks but also like nothing like nothing happens to bill i mean i know john c Riley's the apparently the only constable in that area and then he gets killed so i guess there's no then then he just and then bill just killed the sheriff so there's really no one to arrest him for for that yeah it's just it's a lawless land um okay what the flick is up with these arsonist firefighters <laughs> why is this okay i'm so glad so, you brought this up i know i read somewhere that like firefighter gangs were a real thing oh and it was all driven by like money they wanted to get they would get the money from the insurance companies if they showed up first or whatever but like that's one thing but then like we see in the movie um, after the one fire is, it's, I can't remember, it's, it's taken care of or it's like hopeless. It's hopeless. So then I'm like, it's hopeless. Yeah. And so they're like, all right, move to the next house. It's not on fire. <laughs> but they start raiding the, that house anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, we, firefighters are, you know, it's such like an honorable, uh, career <laughs> now <laughs> and had roots that are not so great. <laughs> I will not stand for this firefighter slander. <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. And imagine, imagine living like that. Yeah. If you have, if there's a fire at your house, you know, you can call 911 and a fire department's going to come and they're going to take care of it. They're not going to. Imagine not having that. raid your house and be like, it's unsalvageable. Take what you can. Yeah. And let's burn the, ho- and then, you know, then let's the house take from the door. other house. Not even like try to prevent the fire from spreading. And then right. that's not to mention like the two fire gains are fighting over who's gonna t- put out the fire and they literally put like trash cans over the fire extinguisher thing yeah yeah t- till they figured out because i don't it was like i don't remember the two names of the firefighter groups like one was the pl- municipal the uglies, i think yeah but like the areas they covered like one was municipal and oh. like one was something like i don't know um I thought that's what I heard. But anyway, yeah, like just the fact that these two firefighter groups are fighting over who's going to put out the fire. And meanwhile, this house is burning down. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, Maybe that's that's why they're called firefighters, because they fight each other. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) The fire, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I want to know what the flick was your favorite gang name? And I'll read them to you because I think I have them here. Okay. Uh, We've got, these are all real. We're all real. Dead rabbits, obviously. Uh, Swamp angels. 
shirt tails, plug uglies, Broadway twisters, and true blue Americans, which is about the most basic you can get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'm biased because of the film, but Dead Rabbits, yeah. I feel like it's pretty, although they do kill four innocent rabbits. Um, oh, yeah. I would say Dead Rabbits and, or, or Plug Uglies. I was going to say Plug Just Uglies like the- or the Broadway Twisters. I kind of like, I like the snazziness of it. That just sounds like a cabaret show. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) Is it my turn? Yes, it's your turn. Okay. Um, Similar to the ears, why the flick is there a market for dead bodies? I feel like Amsterdam sells the dead body. Yeah. Well, for... uh, Is it for medical science? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For medical science. But why did okay? I totally forgot well, I was that happened. Why does it have to be so sketch? But yeah, there's there's so much. That well, I think it's sketch because like I mean it's like. Well, that's the other thing. Talk about like sordid histories. Yeah. Medicine and and medical like research and experiments have sordid histories. Right. There is nothing in this world that, that had an innocent beginning. No, I tell you, absolutely not. <laughs> not at all. No. No, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, totally forgot about the dead body scene where they were like, there's nothing left. And then Amsterdam just throws this dead body into the boat and they all freak yeah. out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, roughly so. I really don't have any others. Just this last one, which we kind of already talked about, was what to flick was that Irish accent on Cameron Diaz. Um, but we yeah. have discussed, so. I leave you in the... Th- grace and favor of the lord of the lord i think that was better than hers <laughs> it was a little bit um, maybe you should be teaching <laughs> voice lessons <laughs> yeah um this is my last one but it's actually just like a legitimate question <laughs> that i'm not clear on um who the flick is firing cannons on the city at the end is that the confederacy oh i just thought or it was that... like the uh military the union potentially just like like, like call, trying to control. Maybe they called quell. in the cavalry. <clears throat> yeah, but like that's not helpful. <laughs> like, like firing cannons on the city is not the solution. Like, I, I no, <laughs> that's just more destructive than the mob <laughs> and potentially more more deadly. They just it's just pandemonium. So. They didn't know what to do. Yeah, they're like, well, they were fuck like, it. we'll just, we'll just burn the shit to the ground. All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh all right, let's go to our next segment, which is a new okay. segment for this podcast. It is called Dick of the Flick. And if, essentially, mm-hmm. we are going to name who was the dick of the of the flick of this movie. Um, but we've got some con- I've got some many, many contenders uh, for this. I think there's <laughs> maybe one obvious answer, but I want to go through the others. Um First off, let's. I want to. Oh, you go. I kind of want to know your. I kind of want to know your obvious answer. I think it's obvious is butcher. He's a dick. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways. I, I, uh, yes. Okay. First of all, let's just say all racist fucks are are, yeah, are yeah, dicks yeah. of this flick. P- putting that aside, I guess. Um. Yeah, Bill's a dick, but again, I think he has, like, we, I think we get to see enough of, like, his motivation and backstory. You know, there's a time that he's talking about, you know, when he's ranting against the immigrants coming off the boats, and he's like, my father died um, in the Revolutionary War, Mm -hmm. defending and fighting for this country, 
I'm not going to watch it be ruined by people who who haven't, who have done nothing, who have not shed any blood uh, for this country. So I think that informs, like, a lot of his mindset. And then, again, going back to, like, the survival thing. He talks about that and using fear as survival. So I think he's more of his time. Mm-hmm. If in the context of his time, Let me... he's kind of run-of-the-mill. <laughs> okay, with Butcher... I mean, we clearly, like, this is just, like, me probably being biased, but he killed Liam Neeson, so, like, that's all automatically. <laughs> but he was nice about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he could be he nice when you're. He portrait on the wall. <laughs> okay. Need, do we need to mention the fact that I'm pretty sure he groomed Jenny? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the film skirts. Skirt. <laughs> around that skirt skirt you know you have the jenny says to amsterdam you know for your own mind he never touched me until i asked oh, him to which made me sick <laughs> but yes we know that you know it, it can be more complicated than that and there can certainly be um grooming and he got her pregnant that made her get an abortion points, made her get an abortion and then and then didn't want to fuck with her because she had a scar um, because I cut the baby out. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, talk that. about these other people and we'll, <laughs> we'll see where we land. Okay. Mr. Tweed is definitely on this list. He's a dick. He's a dick. Um, everything that we mentioned that he does, he switches sides so much. He, you know, is in it for himself. Ultimately, everybody he sees is a vote, uh, even if they're dead. We've got all the people who are betrayers. Happy Jack. Uh, is one McGloin, who I am willing to elevate a little bit more in the uh, higher on the mark of dickishness because he says the n word far too many times for my comfort. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's soups racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I give a little little nomination to Johnny because he does tell Bill who Amsterdam really is. Okay, but he did <laughs> die, so I mean. Well, okay, I'm going to interject here. Okay. Because to me, there is one dick of the flick, and it is fucking Johnny. <laughs> He's 100% okay. the dick here for ratting out Amsterdam. Okay. And he didn't do it for any, like, genuine loyalty or love for Bill. He did it because he was jealous, because he thought it would put him in Bill's good graces or protect his own ass. And the fact that Amsterdam doesn't kill him as retribution says a lot about Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And I think what's also to me different ish, but with Johnny is like all these others were kind of products of their environment and playing the rules of the game that comes with some, you know, kind of fucked up, um, code of honor. Yeah. Right. Johnny ratting someone out. Mm mm. That's that's against every version of that of that Niches code. get what even happened to him? Stitches. Like he got like a fucking pole through him or something. Oh yeah, they like they threw him down the grate. Yeah, on yeah on that uh, fence. Oh, yeah, brutal. Um, I know. I just feel so a little he, bad for him because like he, I don't think he would. He I don't know. Is it enough? He was too soft. He was too soft for that world. True, but does it make him the dick of the flick? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> ruthless, ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, like, 
you play it one side for Amsterdam and then you betray him just because Jenny's not interested in you. That is like. Right. That too. It's also about that. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, boys and their penises, man. Gets a lot of people killed. <laughs> makes them the, dick of the dicks of the flicks. <laughs> it makes them the dick. Uh, okay. So last segment now is. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Oh. Who, but who is, who is the ultimate dick to you? Is it Bill? Um, I think if we can't, we will, uh, hmm. If you had to choose one. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's Butcher. Okay. It has, I mean, but for the sake of if we were, bo- like, if we have to each uh, concede on one, I could concede on Johnny. Okay. You don't, you don't have to, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, okay. So now we are at how many flicks do we give um where we share our ratings for the movie for context this got pretty critically well received by the critics critically acclaimed um it has a 7.5 out of 10 on imdb and then on rotten tomatoes 72 percent from critics 81 percent from audiences which i was surprised audiences liked it more than the critics there um mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a surprise. It's a five out of five oh. for me. And now, look, some of that is because it's just like, it's nostalgic. It's something I've loved for a very long time, you know? Um, to, I mean, to me, it's it's a perfect movie. No. I'm going to acknowledge it's probably not a perfect movie, but it's still a five But to you, five it's perfect. Yeah, me. I get it. I get it's it. Me. I just think there's, we, again, like, haven't seen anything like this on screen before in terms of this era and this place and the level of, of detail and then the powerhouse acting and the powerhouse uh, directing and writing. There's so much of it to me that is um, that is iconic. Um it's just kind of it's it's one of a kind in a lot of ways um and it's a movie that i've obviously you know a movie that i can watch over and over again and certainly i think you can like pick up on new things um each time so it's it's one of those it may not be perfect but it's it's perfect it's a perfect for me movie so five out of five flicks awesome no i totally get that there are definitely movies where i'm like i know it's not perfect but it's perfect to me because yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. So I thought a lot about what I wanted to give this movie. And as I've mentioned, there are definitely things I really liked about this, especially as we discussed it more like, obviously, I think the fir- very first scene is my favorite. Um, not just because it has Liam Neeson in it, but because I think <laughs> it is just really well done and a very well executed scene. Um, uh, He's a hot priest, by the way. I we should know. We just know that. Yeah. Maybe I'd go to church. Yeah. That's my priest. <laughs> sorry, go on. <laughs> I love it. So sorry. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So uh, now I'm just like, they're really sorry. sorry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you love the opening sequence, but he is. obviously. I mean, he's Liam like, Easton. when you think of a priest, especially in these olden days, you think of these like old, really super old crusty. men, crusty yeah. men who like can't like do like they're like crouched over and everything and yeah. Liam Neeson is tall and I, and he's got that great accent the accent, the accent yeah. and he's a badass and he's just like he's sit, dashing he's dashing yes 
So yes. anyway, um, yes, all those anyway. reasons. <laughs> I love it. Um, I also really do love like this as a story and I do like the like pro- like the progression of what we see. Like, yeah, I think there were some hit like hits and misses uh, for me as far as like how it all came together. And ultimately, there's just a lot going on that you also have to process while you're also trying to follow this main storyline. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I kind of can appreciate, though, like the the production and costume is everything that went into this. And as much as they tried to like give an accurate portrayal of history as much as possible. And I can appreciate that, um, you know, this is at least teaching us something about history that we may not have already known. We definitely mm-hmm. didn't know. Um, yeah. So for that, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5 flicks. Um, That's respectable. respectable. Yeah. I think good. I think there's good sides and bad sides uh, to it for me. Um, so maybe on a rewatch, I'll change my mind. Who's to say, but yeah, for now I'm leaning at a 3.5 and three of them go to Liam Neeson for being so hot. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> just kidding. Um, do you think you'll watch it again? I'm, Even if just casually? Yeah, I might. Um, it, it's a movie. I'm wondering if I can like set in the background and like kind of watch as it progresses. That's, yeah because it is like over two hours. So I'm wondering like if I can approach it that way. Um, So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Okay. Let me know if you do, but 3.5, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hate it. We won't, we we don't have to end our friendship. No. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, Elizabeth, I would at this point ask you if you want to plug anything, but you're not on social media. So (laughs) I know I'm like, I am, pretty offline so i'm happy to not plug anything yeah yeah. well i'm so happy you came on here to be my first guest i was like i've got to have you at least back on one more time like it can't just be done um we need to give the people closure (laughs) me closure yeah the people want closure they don't know what they did wrong and they (laughs) i'm just kidding it's not your fault guys it's mine just kidding nobody's fault it's me not you yeah 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 there you go um so yeah definitely i would say like check like stay in touch with you but you really like you're on linkedin but that's about it um i am i'm i'm a professional let us uh, we'll revisit uh, this whole oh i'm on letterbox too oh right not that i want to plug it but i am on letterbox i'm I'm just now like exploring that lap and i that lap that (laughs) app and i like (laughs) and i like uh like rating uh, all the movies I'm watching because I've been watching a lot lately. Yeah, so, so go check out. I don't know which. Do you know what your username is? You want to plug e, it? E de Pompe. E de Pompe, I think. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So go check her out on Letterboxd. I, f- I follow Why the Flick, so you can yeah, yeah, yeah. You one. can yeah, check find her through there. Um, awesome. So. I was going to say next week, but no, next episode. Uh, we me me. I need to stop saying we. Um, <laughs> I am going to be joined by Top Model Rewind, uh, who you'll remember, uh, Danielle is a co-host on that podcast. She came on our podcast last season to talk about uh, Elvis. So now she and her co-host Alex are going to come on in our next episode and we are going to talk about the menu. 
Um, Ooh, I've heard good things. I watched it uh, last week, I think. Um, It was really good. I enjoyed it. I'll save all of my uh, commentary, though, for for next episode. So we are going to talk about that movie. So definitely go watch it. Check it out before our episode drops so you cannot be spoiled by anything. Um, you know what I like too doing the every other week you listeners have more time to watch the movie before mm-hmm. the next episode yeah. so we have plenty of time I'm gonna watch the menu and absolutely and to you all. there you go um, all right well uh thanks everybody for listening um as you probably already know because you're listening to this you can find our podcast pretty much everywhere where you listen to podcasts we are on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts um all of the major ones essentially and then we are also on social at why the flick on instagram tiktok twitter and letterboxd where we post all of our movie reviews so definitely go check us out there and we'll we do little social posts throughout the week on uh, or the weeks, I should say, on all the movies that we cover. So definitely check us out there. Elizabeth, thank you again for joining me. And thank you. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.